friends have spoken, and they've been anything but comforting, that you deserve this, you deserve what you got, essentially is their message. And now, not only that, your kids deserve, got what they deserved. That's a horrible thing to say. Now it's time for the third one to speak. And I can see two possibilities as I visualize this. I was trying to picture the scene as I was put together. And uh, I see either the eyes of Job slowly turning to Zophar with like a go ahead and make my day look. You know, just uh, what, do you, what do you have to say now? Or maybe... Uh, more defeated, his uh, face might just, and his heart plead for some love and understanding. Then he opens his mouth. Let's look what he says, chapter. Then answered Zophar, the Namathite, and said, Should not the multitude of words be answered? Should a man full of talk be justified? Should thy lies, thy lies make men hold their peace? And when thou mockest, shall no man make thee ashamed? For thou hast said, My doctrine is pure. And I am clean in thine eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips, and that he would show thee the secrets of wisdom, that they are double to that which is. Know therefore that God exalteth or exacteth of thee less than thine iniquity deserveth. Canst thou by teaching find out God? Canst thou out find out the Almighty unto perfection? It is as high as heaven, what canst thou do? Deeper than hell, what canst thou know? The measure thereof is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. If he cut off or shut up or, or and shut up or gather together, then who can hinder him? For he knoweth vain men, he seeketh wickedness also, will he not then consider? For vain man would be wise, though man would be born like a wild ass's colt. If thou prepare thine heart, and stretch out thine hands toward him, if iniquity be in thine hand, put it far away, and let no wickedness dwell in thy tabernacles. For then shalt thou lift up thy face without spot. Yea, thou shalt be steadfast, and shalt not fear, because thou shalt forget thy misery, and remember it as waters that pass away. And thine age shall be clearer than the noonday, shall shine forth, thou shalt be as the morning. Thou shalt be secure, because there is hope. Yea, thou shalt dig about thee, and thou shalt take thy rest in safety. Also thou shalt lie down, and none shall make thee afraid. Yea, many shall make suit unto thee. But the eyes of the wicked shall fail, and they shall not escape, and their hope shall be as the giving up of the ghost. Father, I pray you'd help us. Tonight, your word be blessed and we would learn something from it. So what Zophar says is no different really than what the others have said. Uh, what he, but believe it or not, I mean, we've looked at how harsh the others were, but now it gets worse. So here is the third one to speak, and he is the harshest yet in his dialogue with Job. Now, he will speak only twice. The others spoke both three times, both spoke three times. Uh, or, or throughout the book, you haven't got to it yet, but they're going to speak again. He only speaks twice, and I don't know about you, but as we go through this speech, we'll be glad he only spoke twice because he didn't have very good things to say, and he wasn't a help. Uh, the the oper- like uh, one of my favorite quotes, um, Doctor, uh, the great psychiatrist, psychiatrist, he said, "Never miss a good opportunity to shut up," and uh, that's what Zofrin, the opportunity to not speak here. But let's break down his speech here. So he begins with evaluating Job's conduct. It is very critical, uh, the evaluation of Job. He focused on two areas of Job's conduct, and uh, they were about the speeches of Job and about the sins of Job. So let's look at both of them. Look at verse 1 and through 3 here. Uh, should not the multitude of words be answered? And should a man full of talk be justified? Should thy lies make men hold their peace? When thou mockest, shall no man make thee ashamed. So this is the speeches of Job being evaluated by Zophar. 
he brings up four rhetorical questions here. The implied answers to these questions tell Zophar that, Job, you need to be refuted. You need to be, uh, you, there needs to be a response. And guess what, Job? I'm just the man to do it. That's the attitude he has here. Uh, I like how the New Testament, I didn't have this in my notes, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head, but uh, that if a brother falls, ye that are spiritual, restore him. That command is not just to anybody. And uh, there are certain types of people that ought to be helping those who are down and who fall, who are discouraged. Zophar doesn't seem to be that type of person. Okay, He is just all and out uh, kind of being a jerk about it. So <clears throat> he said four things about what Job has said, uh, unlimited. Here is the first one. Should not the multitude of words be answered? Zophar, the same as Bildad did, complained that Job talked too much. They were impatient with Job's speeches. They neglected to mention here that, Zoph uh, that actually Eliphaz was also not a short speaker. If you take all the words in Eliphaz's speech, it's 782 words, whereas Job's was a little, about 100 more, but uh, wasn't that much different than Eliphaz's words. And uh, so it was, has an element of hypocrisy to it. The problem is, uh, with, with these type of people, you can call them gas bags or whatever you want to call them, that that are so full of themselves, love to hear themselves talk, they hate to listen to other people talk, and they hate to listen, period, pretty much. And so they were impatient in listening to Job, uh, but eager to start talking. And can we just go back again to, we, we've talked much about how we comfort people who are suffering. Uh, can we learn to listen and empathize? You know, empathy is a, is a dying art, isn't it? We need to have empathy and care enough to listen. Sometimes people just need to talk, especially in grief. <clears throat> they should have been more than willing to listen. He didn't need their preaching and their pontificating. He needed somebody to care for him. And so uh, this is ridiculous that they are like this. Uh, they love to hear themselves talk and they hate to listen. Most people I've, I've read this, if they ran like their mouth, in great shape, harsh, but pretty true, isn't it? Uh, to some people, any amount of words is too much it comes from someone else. No amount of words are too many It comes from me, because after all, why wouldn't anybody love to hear me talk all day long? Uh, it's the same ones that complain about the preacher going over time when he preaches 45 minutes instead of 30, but can watch a four-hour football game with no problem whatsoever. Uh, it's the priorities. It's, it's just what we put our importance. Uh, it would serve us all well if we learned to talk less. We've said it over and over, but it's good to remind us again, God gave us two of these one of these. Amen? Two ears, one mouth. We ought to listen twice as much talk. Now, the think of the different response. Just think for a minute of the different response that these three jokers would have had if they'd have listened. Really listen to Joe. Just listen to him. Listen to his heart. Listen to what, uh, was, what was really bothering him instead of trying to... Uh, we did the little skit the other night at the Valentine's Day banquet. Things was obviously being bad. Did y'all get that? It was bad advice? Okay, hopefully everybody got that that much. It wasn't good advice. We were giving marriage tips. But one of them was, you know, uh, think of your response while she talks. You know, don't, while she talks, you think. And that, that's a, that, we make a joke about it. But man, we operate that way a lot of times, don't we? Rather than listening somebody out, we're formulating our response while the other person's talking. We don't hear a word they say. I think that's what's going on here with these three guys. <coughs> Unlimited. Secondly, unwise. He said that Job's uh, speech was unwise. Should a man full of talk be justified? Silence 
and taciturnity, which is reserve in speaking, was a much greater virtue in those days, uh, even than today. It was considered one of the proofs of wisdom. If you, in fact, I think it's still a proof of wisdom if somebody can uh, be careful in their speech. Uh, Proverbs ten nineteen: He that refraineth his lips is wise. Uh, it was considered wise if somebody could learn when not to speak. It's better to be thought of of a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Uh, it's a great thing to live by. Because sometimes, if you, if you don't say anything, then you're not proving you're a fool. Sometimes we open our mouth and we'll do who we are. So Zophar's charge that he was full of talk implied that Job's words were unwise. If wisdom is refraining from speaking, then you calling you full of talk is saying you're unwise. And then number three, untrue. Should thy lies, he said. The Hebrew word translated lies here involves the idea of boasting. Those who brag seldomly tell the truth, uh, but they're exaggerating about themselves if they're bragging. <coughs> they usually are not very truthful. One who is always talking about himself, you can pretty much bet on it, is probably exaggerating quite a bit. Have you ever met those self-promoters? Where blah, 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 all they do is talk about themselves. Just build themselves up, build themselves up, build themselves up. Um, everybody's favorite subject of conversation, by the way, themselves. And uh, we, we're all built that way. We all like to talk about us. Uh, that, that old joke, you know, enough about you, let's talk about me. That's the way we feel about things most of the time. But uh, so here we understand if somebody's talking about themselves a lot, they're probably exaggerating. So here he says lies. He thinks Job's lying. It's an unwarranted charge. Number four, unkind. Verse three also, thou mockest. <laughs> so he says that Job's speech is unkind. This is usually... Uh, speaking in an unkind way, if you're mocking, wouldn't you agree with that? The only mocking that Job could be accused of, though there's two times we can kind of find maybe a little bit of mocking with Job, <coughs> when he was claiming in his sarcastic way to know more than his friends or to know the truth the same as his friends did, chapter 9, verse... And then in chapter 6, verse 15, and following on when he characterized his friends as dried up streams, <laughs> remember that part we talked about? Uh, they were uh, deceiving their listeners... But Zophar has decided to jump on the bandwagon here and condemn Job, and he does so by accusing him of lying and mocking. Then that was his speeches. Now the second thing he talks about is his sins. He evaluates Job's sins. Job's sins. So he, along with his buddies, they do not feel that Job is suffering unfairly. They think he deserves what he has gotten. They see Job as a great sinner who is in turn receiving great affliction because of that great sin. Uh, Job does not deny that he's a sinner, but he does deny that he's done something to bring this on specifically. He will not accept the idea that affliction has been caused, this current affliction has been caused by a great sin in his life. And we know because we got to peek behind the curtain into heaven, and we know that Job's right. This is not, he, he was not, this was not brought on because of sin, it was brought on because of his righteousness. He was good, so he's suffering. Not he was bad, so he's suffering. You need to remember that. So look at the claim about his sins. Look at verse 4. Thou hast said, my doctrine is pure, and I am clean in thine eyes. Job claimed to be innocent of any great sin, I should say, that caused his affliction. He also said the same in his response to Bildad when he said, I am not wicked in chapter 10, verse 7. But these friends have decided that he's guilty, and they're not backing down. Then in verse 2, the correction about his sins. Oh, that God would speak and open his lips against thee, that he would show thee the secrets of wisdom. Zophar really wishes God would open his mouth and correct Job. Isn't it interesting 
how every single person thinks God's on their side. I mean, in a conflict or a discussion or something like this, obviously, Job, God agrees with me. So, would that God would open his mouth and back me up. Now, we're all convinced that God's with us. Sometimes it's a little pretentious on our part, but that's where it is. God's wisdom, he says, is double to that which is. In other words, greater than most people realize. Zophar is right in characterizing God's wisdom as much greater than most people realize, but it is said in a way of condemning Job, which was wrong. And then the clemency for his sins, verse 6. <coughs> know therefore that God exacteth of thee less than thine iniquity deserveth. Now taken on his own, that's a wonderful statement. It's a true statement. It's true of every one of us. He exacts less of us than our iniquity deserves. Is that not true of you and of me? He Does God not give us less than what we deserve when it comes to our iniquity? Absolutely he does. And so taken on his own, that's a great statement. No redeemed, saved child of God can ever say that God dealt with them as they deserved. Because if we got what we deserved, we'd be in hell forever. All right, so uh, every saved soul can point to the marvelous grace of God, especially in the blessing of salvation. At our very best, we deserve more than the good that we... Uh, we deserve evil more than good. So, Zophar, though, is not using it to highlight God's mercy... He's using it to condemn Job. What he's saying here is, Job, your wickedness was so great that even the great tragedies that have befallen you, that's less than you deserve. You deserve more than you got. Man, thanks for coming, guys. I appreciate you showing up and sitting around my fire. I mean, he's going through all this, and here, you know, you're ch- the, the, you deserve what you got. Your children deserve what you got. By the way, Job, you deserve more wickedness than you got. What more could he have gotten? than what he had done to you. Terrible. It's harsh and it's cruel. It just, I mean, I've read Job before, but as I'm going through this, I've never studied it in this depth, and I'm just appalled at the way these guys treat You know, I'm more, the more I read and study in Job, the more I think that his, his, his greatest trial wasn't his, what happened in the first couple of chapters is dealing with these chuckleheads all throughout the book and the type of people that think you think are friends and they are, coming at you. I just, I think it's just a terrible Alright, then they go to educating Job about God. Each one of Job's three friends felt they needed to educate Job about God. His complaining, his responses so far, are part of the reason for this. And again, uh, I, I just want to make a, a reminder of this. His critical comments about God brought a lot of this on. When we are suffering, we say things. Those things can come back to bite us. So we need to be careful at all times. So uh, what Zophar and his friends said about God, and it, as you notice, I've always kind of been doing that delicate dance here in between being critical, critical about what they say and why they say it, and yet they're giving us a lot of truth at the same time. So we are, as we go through the book of Job, we're seeing the things they say that are, are true and good statements. They're just applied wrong against Job. <coughs> Look at the, let's start here at verse number 7 we see the awesomeness of God. This is three attributes that Zophar is giving about God. The awesomeness of God. Canst thou, by searching, find out God? Zophar says that God is so great and awesome, it's impossible to fully know him. It is impossible, especially for a fool like Job, to ever know about God or to know God. Uh, Verses uh, 7 through 9 talks about the impossibility to fully know him. Canst thou, by searching, find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection. It is as high as heaven. What canst thou do? Deeper than hell, what canst thou know? 
the Apostle Paul made a similar statement in Romans 11.33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments. And he wrote some, but those are, that's the essential idea there. We need more of this truth realized today. The view of God today is so warped with people. I mean, just if you spend any time witnessing, you know this is the truth. I mean, for, for one thing, does anybody fear God anymore? Like, really? In our general society today, there is no fear of God. And I hope there's fear of God here uh, in, amongst us, you know, but even in our churches, there's not enough fear of God. People just do what they want to do, and they follow their whims, and, and they live how they want to live. And, and often even Christians do this, fear of God, or treat God like a servant, like God is our bellhop. I need this. I need that. Get on it. Get on it. And when I don't need you, I don't want to know, I don't want you around. I want you to disappear when I don't need you, but I want you here when I need you, treating God like that. Zophar's view of Job is warped, but his statement about God here is right. Uh, today, God is spoken of as the man upstairs, or other denigrating titles like that. Makes me just growl inside when I hear them, and I usually do not let people get away with saying it that way. His name is used as a curse word without even a second thought. It was a few years ago, one of my kids was younger, at a restaurant for breakfast, and a couple of guys here talking, and just uh, God and the word damn together over and over and over and over in conversation. I had to not let my kids sit here and listen to that and say something. Uh, but just, uh, doesn't that get you? I don't know if it, if it does to me, but I hear that. I just, oh, it's like a spear in my soul to hear it put together. God is so uh, disrespected. He is great, and uh, we understand. And then he goes further not only is there an impossibility to fully know God, it's especially impossible for a fool to know God. Look at verse 12. For vain men would be wise, though man be born like a wild ass's colt. The <coughs> statement here is an attempt to belittle Job. Zophar seems, by the way, like the others, to be enjoying this verbal assault here. He certainly has no compunction with unloading both barrels on Job. It makes you wonder if these guys didn't have a little jealousy at some point because Job was greater than them, the Bible says, before. And now they're all of a sudden greater than him in, in their health. They still have their wealth and still are somewhat have their lives together. And so now they can come with their noses. I'm glad it didn't rain when they were sitting around the fire there because they'd have drowned for one of them. That's a little trivia for you. How do you know it didn't rain in the book of Job? These guys didn't drown. That's all we know. After describing the greatness of God, Zophar gives this proverbial saying here. And he, Job can basically forget to know God. He's not going to be able to know God because he's a vain man. The Hebrew word translated vain in verse 12 is different than the Hebrew word translated vain in verse 11. Interesting. The word in verse 12 means hollow and empty. The one in verse 12 means to emphasize wor worthlessness and deceit. So putting them together, Job is described as empty-headed, too stupid to learn about God, and he also will not be honest with himself, so he is an empty-headed and deceitful, unable to learn uh, because he's lying about himself. That's basically, if you put that together, it's a very cruel comment to make. But again, reiterate this again, Job, a little bit, a little bit brought this on himself by the things he said about God and his, we need to be careful, it'll come back to then looking uh, not only the awesomeness of God, but the ability of God, verse 10, if he cut off and shut up or gather together, then who can hinder him? God is omnipotent. He is superior to anything or anyone else. The idea here is that God will do what God will do. Nobody can hinder him. Uh, we know that. That's all the way through the Bible. It's so similar to what uh, Job said to Bill that in, nine, in verse, chapter 9, verse 12. 
uh, behold, he taketh away who can hinder him. Who will say unto him, what doest thou? And Zophar is correct. God is omnipotent and his ability has no... And then the awareness of God in verse 11. For he knoweth vain men. He seeketh wickedness also. Will he then not consider it? Zophar is right about God seeing all the evil that man does. The extent of God's awareness is seen here. He knoweth vain men. He seeth wickedness also. The word translated seeth here is interesting. It means more than just seeing. It's talking about understanding as well. So it's not only talking about detection, but also discernment, that he sees and he discerns. Now, I can't do that. Not very well. You develop an instinct after a while, but I can't really discern. I can see, but I can't discern your heart. I can see your actions. Over time, sometimes we become kind of discerning about a person's spirit and fruit of the spirit, but God can do both. <coughs> so God sees our actions and much more. He can tell what kind of actions they are and what's behind them. You know, we can do much good. We talked about it last Sunday. We can do a lot of good with the wrong motivation. And then that doesn't count as much. So 1 Corinthians 13 talks about that. We, we talked about it Sunday. Gifts, uh, all those lists of gifts and all those lists of talents and then all those lists of good works mean nothing. If the heart's not right. We remember that. Now, what Zophar doesn't understand is God did see Job's conduct. He did discern Job's conduct. And he saw him as someone he could uh, showcase to Satan as an example of fine Christian servitude. So Zophar has no idea what he's talking about here when he's applying this to Job. Look at the ex. By the way, God sees. Amen? God sees our... It doesn't matter if other men do not recognize that. God sees them. He takes note of them. And don't be discouraged if people don't know. Sometimes you're going to do good things with good intent, good motives, and someone is going to accuse you of doing it a bad thing or doing it with a bad motive or having just totally uh, falsely accuse you in it. Don't stress about it. God knows your heart. Always live. And then the expectation from God's awareness. Will he then not consider it? To consider it refers back to the wickedness of the context. It means that God will evaluate the wickedness and then deem the punishment. This is a direct slap at Job. It implies that after God saw Job's wickedness and after he considered it, he sent these great trials. That's why you're suffering, Job. God sees wickedness, he considers it, and then he exacts his punishment. That's why you're suffering. Again, thanks for coming, Zophar. The exhortation of Job to repent is the final point here. He's been denounced now. He's been educated about God. And uh, now he urges him to repent. Verse 13, <coughs> If thou prepare thine heart, stretch out thine hands towards him. If iniquity be in thine hand, put it far away, and let not wickedness dwell in thy tabernacle. What he says here about repentance is a very good thing. It's just the application to Job is bad. So, again, we can take good truths from it. There's three excellent things said here in these two verses about the true character of repentance. The sincerity of it, prepare thine heart. The matter of repentance must be in the heart. Repentance is more than a decision card at the altar. Repentance is a heart decision. It is a heart dedication and a heart devotion. And then the seeking of it, stretch out thine hands toward him. Repentance is to be made to God. Stretching out our hands toward God, it's a phrase that's often used to represent the act of prayer. And that's what we're doing. We're, we're praying to God for repentance. Job is being urged Pray to God and repent of your sin. And then the separating in it, verse 14, if, if iniquity be in thine hand, put it far away. Let it not be, let not wickedness dwell in thy tabernacles. 
Repentance involves the separating from sin. All right, a lot of people need this today that are not grasping that aspect. They come to church and they live like they want to through the week. They don't change anything. They still got the wine in the fridge and the alcohol and, and uh, live how they want to through the week and, and uh, just, just kind of go their own way and then come to church, call themselves a Christian, carry the big Bible. All right, Repentance is more than just, uh, than just saying so. We separate ourselves from sin. Repentance is more than confession. Repentance results in a change of ways for taking our sins. And again, this is all excellent advice. It just didn't apply to Job. Okay, that's where these guys are way off. Let's uh, really want to go through this list, but I, it's a, kind of a long list. The wonderful results of repentance uh, in, in the consequence of repentance here. Number one, verse 15, For then thou shalt thou lift thy, up thy face without spot. We get purity. Purity, the stain of uh, many sins now spots Job. He needs purity. Repentance will remove those stains. That gives us power. Verse 15, Yea, thou shalt be steadfast. The unrepentant sin does not have power to live a godly life, but uh, because he's unstable, he's weak. But if we repent, it, then we, uh, uh, we come to, uh, you know, sin destroys all of our strength and all of our power. But when a man turns to God, repents of his sin, he becomes powerful where it counts. Then there's peace. Verse 15, And thou shalt not fear. Sin brings turbulence. Sin brings anxiety. But repentance brings tranquility. And it brings peace into our hearts. Uh, number uh, The fourth thing, painlessness. Verse 16, Thou shalt forget thy misery. Zophar promises that if Job will repent, he will have his painful affliction removed. He'll even forget it, he said. Now, repentance does indeed remove a lot of pain, but again, wasn't applicable for Job. Okay, And then uh, pleasure. Verse 16, Thou shalt forget thy misery. Forgetting one's misery... Uh, the opposite of that is pleasure. Happiness comes from holiness. Repenting of one's sin is getting on the path of holiness. And jo joy comes to the repentant sin. We've all seen it. We've probably all experienced it when we repent. The joy that comes with it. So we have purity, power, peace, painlessness, pleasure, and then prosperity. Verse 17, thine age shall be cleaner than the noonday. Thou shalt shine forth. Thou shalt be as the morning. The thought here is prosperity. Things will get better for you if you repent. That's what Zophar is saying. Proverbs 4.18, The path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more into the perfect day. Calamities are all about around him, but if he returns to God and repents, he will enjoy prosperity again. Uh, this, this is all good teaching. just doesn't apply to Job. Zophar has good doctrine. He's not too good at how he's applying it. So purity, power, peace, painlessness, pleasure, prosperity. Protection, verse 18. Thou shalt be secure, thou shalt take thy rest in safety. Thou shalt lie down, and none shall make thee afraid. You truly repent from your sins, he's telling Job here. You not have to worry about your safety. You'll be protected from the Chaldeans and the Sabians raiding your flocks. You'll not have to worry about others harming you. Uh, gospel repentance does bring a certain type of protection for us as well, especially from the eternal damnation of fire, amen? Uh, we are protected from that. So uh, these are these are great things. So there's... Uh, purity, power, peace, painlessness, pleasure, prosperity, protection. Then prestige, verse 19. Many shall make suit unto thee. The promise here contains Job's status. If you will repent, Job, you'll rise in your status and others will pursue you again for advice and for counsel. This was a, obviously an honor, a special honor in the East at that time, uh, one that Job <coughs> formerly had had. Once again, you'll be sought out by others, not because... Uh, the, not, you know, because of your, your status will rise again. 
By the way, all this did happen for Job. You read the back of the book. But not because he had to repent like Zophar said. Uh, in fact, later, Zophar would be told by God to seek Job and have Job pray for him in Job 42. And so uh, we'll see that come around. But those are a few things uh, that I wanted to point out tonight. Truth that he gives. Um, terrible way of doing it. <laughs> the, the way that we... The vehicle for our truth is important. Wouldn't you agree with that? I've heard different, all different types of preachers. I study preaching. It's obviously my profession, so I, I like to study it. I like to see what works in different types. And I've heard some just preachers that are just, they're just mean. They're just mean. They're not nice. They're not kind. They're harsh. And I don't care if there's truth in that. People don't receive it. It's not a, it's just not a good way to bring truth across. And then I've heard some preachers who are, who are uh, all fluff, very nice, very kind, but they give you about that much depth. They don't give you anything to help you. They don't give you any of the Word of God. There has to be, a, there has to be some truth. We want to bring across truth. We do it in a nicer way than Zophar, who begins with saying, yeah, Job, you really didn't get what you deserved. You're right. You deserved a lot more bad stuff happening. Let's be a little kinder than that. Anyway, hopefully we picked up something to be a help. Father, we thank you for this evening.